This is the Mission Control Podcast and I'm Liana Downey. Welcome. Today, we're answering the question, I've inherited a broken organisation. Now what? Unfortunately, this is the surprising situation that lots of new executive directors find themselves in. So you've taken a new job. Congratulations. It's in an area you're passionate about, the board is supportive, and you're up for a challenge. It certainly sounds exciting, but more often than not, before too long, reality sinks in. It might not be on the first day or in the first week, but soon enough, there'll come a time when the honeymoon is over and you may realise that you've inherited a mess. Maybe the last leader was in cruise control mode, ready to retire, one foot out the door and thinking about fishing or the beach or something else. But for whatever the reason, things aren't looking good. It might be that staff morale is low, the finances are a mess, and internal systems are non-existent. Yet somehow, and maybe you sold yourself too well on the interview, the board seemed to expect that you can wave a magic wand, fix everything, and not only that, but that you'll be able to make dollars grow on trees and do so really quickly. Well, if you're in this situation, first of all, I'm sorry. It is a very tough situation to be in. If there's any comfort, know that you're not alone. The situation is unfortunately not that uncommon. But it also doesn't have to spell disaster. I've seen leaders go through the pits and emerge triumphant, and I know that you can do it too. So when you're in that situation, though, of feeling overwhelmed by the huge amount of things that lie in front of you that need to get done, how can you get your head above it? How can you get some traction and progress? Well, there's a few things that you can do that really make a difference. So the first thing is to get the lay of the land. Before you can really plan to move forward and before you can really think about prioritizing amongst all the stuff that needs to happen, you've got to know exactly where you stand. You might have noticed some of the issues and the gaps, but you really also need to understand not just the problems, but also what assets and resources do you have. Sometimes the most important resources in an organization are not always obvious at first glance, and it might take a little while to kind of understand where the nuggets of potential lie. So I'm not just talking about financial resources, but of course you need to assess those. But what about your team? Start with your team. What capabilities do your people have? It's a really good idea to make sure you survey or meet with all of your employees. Ideally, you meet with them. But if you're taking over a very large organization, you won't be able to do that in quite the same way. You're certainly not going to have time to have one-on-one conversations with everyone. In that case, you need to think creatively. So you might think about organizing town hall forums or you can think about cascading listening groups. So you can pull together a group of people from across the organization and ask them a series of questions and then ask them to go out and ask the same question of people that they're working with and then feed that back. So you might have somebody who's working in the line, you might have somebody who's working at a regional level or in different geographies, and you get them to do their listening and kind of pull it back and report back to you. And the kinds of questions you're trying to answer are what's working and what's broken. So you do need to understand those two, but also you really want to understand what is it that motivates people? What is it that people are passionate about. Because even in the most broken organizations, there's always this thread 
this core of passion and commitment to the work. I've never found a nonprofit organization, no matter how chaotic or in how much of a mess, where you can't quite quickly tap into and connect with that passion that brought people to that job in the first place. They may almost be ready to give up. They may almost be totally done, but they're still there, which says that that passion is still there. So while you need to understand what's working and what's not, and those are really important questions to ask, make sure that you spend enough of that conversation asking them about passion and then asking them about the best future they can imagine for the organisation and for themselves. Because sometimes you coming in as a new leader is a chance for people to finally be connected to their deepest strengths and capabilities. We often end up with the wrong people and the wrong jobs. Sometimes it means that they're not the right fit for the organisation in the long term. But there are also times when it means that they simply need to be moved to a different role within the organisation or they need to have work taken off their plate and given to somebody else who's passionate about it. So in these conversations, for sure, people will want to blow off steam. They'll want to vent. But just manage the conversation and the flow of conversation well enough so that you get that stuff out of the way and then you shift gears. Don't let the venting go on too long because that can be disruptive and feed into a culture of negativity. Make sure, of course, that you do show that you've understood the issues that they've raised. So whether it's a simple repeating back of what they've said or a synthesis of the key themes that you've heard from other people in the organisation and also from them to show that you've understood and check your understanding. But then as you switch the conversation to passion and the future, help them understand that this change in your leadership represent a chance for a clean slate. By asking them what they're really excited about and what the untapped potential of the organisation is and what their untapped potential is, you shift the energy of that conversation. And if you can shift the energy in each of these conversations and they start to filter through the organisation, that's the first change. So just by getting a lay of the land, if you do it in the right way, you can start to build the energy, excitement and enthusiasm that you'll need to get people behind you working together to start to get some of those other things in place. That's thinking about your connection to people in the organisation. The second step is about building some connections within the team. Of course, in all likelihood, at some point, you're probably going to make staff changes, some staff changes anyway. And there are lots of different perspectives on how you can do this. Certainly, there are some people who are known for coming in, kind of firing everyone in sight and bringing their whole own team in. And that can be, at times, a successful strategy in the short term. If you do that, it's because you're 100% confident in the people you're bringing in. And, but you need to remember that in doing so, you're also demonstrating 100% lack of confidence in the people who are in the organisation in the first place. And that may be well-founded, but it might not be either. If you've had somebody who hasn't been a strong leader, who's kind of let the situation devolve, it may be that there is enormous untapped potential in those employees. It may be, of course, that the team hate each other. That happens, especially if the last leader was a bit hopeless. But don't despair, hope springs eternal. I remember inheriting exactly the same situation as a young leader and through sort of stumbling around in desperation, coming across a technique that is now taught by others and even used in schools 
You may well already have experienced it, but as a quick reminder or an introduction, it is incredibly effective on even the most hardened and grumpy executives. It works better for smaller teams, and by smaller I mean less than 20 people. Everyone sits in a room, and each person takes a turn, and sits quietly while everyone else says something about them. But before I go into what that thing is, let me just give you a bit of context about my own experience. So I had been brought in to save a flailing program. It was a big national project and it looked like it was going to go completely haywire. Somebody else had already tried to come in and work with the leader, coach them to try and make it more effective. And it was still looking like a financial disaster and a team disaster. So I was asked in to work alongside the existing leader. So I had the complexity that the leader who had been unfortunately struggling to make the project and program effective was still there. But I had to find a way to bring the project not only to successful completion, but also keep everybody happy. Because when I got there, more than half the team members told me within the first hour of me arriving that they wanted to resign. And I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to deal with this? You know, there's lots of issues. There were real issues that people needed to talk about. They needed to get off their chest. But at the same time, I knew we couldn't kind of go down a negative path because A, we didn't have much time, but B, I still needed the leader to be on side and to be pulling in the same direction. So the technique that I thought I came up with, but clearly I didn't. Other people have used this technique successfully all over the world before and since. But certainly in that situation, it was incredibly effective and I've used it and I've taught it to other leaders and I've seen it be incredibly effective in other organisations. So the trick is that... The something that you say has to be positive. The group of people that I was working with were really reluctant. They had stuff that they felt needed to come to light. They had grievances that needed to be discussed and needed to be shared. But I knew that if we didn't do something positive, half the people were going to leave that room. And no matter how many grievances we aired, we were never going to make a difference to that morale in that group without doing something positive. So... With a bit of, you know, bullying into it, they promised me that they would play ball and they would play by the rules and they would just come up with something nice. So it's a bit like the the old parenting adage, if you can't think of something nice to say, don't say anything at all. But in this case, they really did have to come up with something, just anything, no matter how trivial. It didn't have to be about work. It didn't have to be personal either. It just had to be something that was positive about that person. And so we started. And each person sat and listened. And you could palpably feel the dynamic in that room shifting from one of incredible negativity to one of warmth, of some levity, people were laughing, and connection. People who didn't like each other looked around and saw that in fact their colleagues had been observing them quietly in different ways and had noticed great things about them. And so that simple exercise, if you've never had the opportunity to use it before, can be super powerful. And if you have had the opportunity to use it before, I'd encourage you to use it now as a way right at the outset 
to start to build some, to perhaps rebuild some connections and positivity amongst that team because that will make your job enormously easier. And I have to say the project, of course, there were lots of other things that we did. It went on to be very, very successful and it was because the team pulled together. You know, I supported them, but it was the team and we just worked with the team that we had. We didn't have time to get new people in that particular situation. We were a few weeks out from a major project. So it was very successful, but more importantly, no one quit. And that was the, that was the key metric where, you know, where I, when I'd walked in the door, half the people there said they were going to quit and we kept everyone, which is exactly what we needed to do to get us through that project. So that's the second thing. Step two, build some team energy. Step three is about small wins. And that exercise that I've just described is a nice example of a small win for team morale. But you need more than that. You actually need to get some runs on the board and some momentum for you. You need it for your own sake, for your own sanity. You need it because you want to be able to show the board that you're working with, that uh, if you have a board, that this is something that you're moving in the right direction, you're building up some momentum, and you need to do it for your team. The trick here, when you look through that really daunting list of to-dos, is to pick off some easy wins. So if, for example, you don't have insurance right now, get the insurance sorted out. Get something that's a clear win. If the layout of the office has always been a disaster and no one has ever known what people are working on, you know, get a decent clean team calendar up in one part of the room and put some pot plants in. You know, it can be simple stuff, but you really have to have a couple of early wins in that first week, first few weeks and first month. So pick off some easy things, get people involved in them and get those done. Then step four is about the way in which you marshal your board. So in this case, I'm assuming that you have a board. If you don't, there may be other relevant and important stakeholders that you need to think about. But for the purposes of this exercise, let's talk about the board. Oh, the board, the board, the bane of every non-profit leader's existence. I know. They hire you, they fire you, they sound like a good idea on paper, and yet they never answer their emails. Well, while a lot of the posts and podcasts on mission control over the next six months will get really deep into topics about how to get the most out of your board, here's one thing that you can do right now. You've absolutely got to give them a realistic view of what you've inherited. You've got to manage their expectations about what can and can't be done. So you've done your listening. You've done your audit to understand what resources you have and what you don't have and what issues are in front of you. But be really careful with this conversation. For every issue, missing system or pain in the butt employee that you've inherited, there are two ways you can share that news with your board. One approach is going to cause you a lot of problems and the other is going to set you up for success. So I want to help you imagine two interactions, both at a board meeting. In the first interaction, the leader opens with something a bit like this. Listen, this organisation really has some big, big issues. You haven't been insured for the last year. It looks like there may have been some hiccups in the financial processes. We don't have a clear understanding of who our clients are today. Staff turnover, as you know, has been high. And by the way, it looks like one of your junior level employees had their hands in petty cash. We have some real issues on our plate. Now, I'm confident that I can clean this up, but I'm going to need your help. 
you're going to need to do a much better job of reaching out to your networks and raising funds to get us through the end of the year. And dot, dot, dot. So just for a second, I want you to think about what that kind of message sounds like if you are in the seat of a board member. Put yourself in their shoes. What might they be feeling at this point? Is the message that you're sending to them that they, in their role of oversight and hiring and firing, have done a great job over the last five years? Or might they be feeling a little defensive? Is it possible that they might be feeling like you're telling them that they didn't have their eye on the ball, even to the point of negligence? Now, that may be exactly how you are feeling. You might be really, really frustrated with that board, and you may be absolutely within your rights to feel like that. If you've inherited a real mess, then they haven't been doing their job. But the challenge is, you need those guys on side. Not only because they make you know, your employment decision, but because, absolutely, if you can get that board rallying behind you, if they can be clear on the expectations, if you can have a sense that you're moving towards something together, it's going to make a huge difference in your chances of success. But if you've just delivered a message that tells them everything that's wrong and then ask them to help out by reaching out to their networks, be careful. If they're feeling under attack, if you are in their shoes, is that the point at which you might feel like you want to go out and advertise your relationship with this organisation to your networks and to your closest friends? Would you be suggesting that they too get involved in supporting an organisation that now seems to be very shaky? Well, you know the answer. Of course the answer is no. They're feeling under attack and more often than not, the way they'll respond is by blame shifting and attacking you and putting pressure back onto you. You know, well... You knew that that was the situation and what are you going to do about it? So let's try that interaction again in a more positive framing. Leader sits down with the board. I've had a chance to meet with 30 staff from across the organisation. I've heard from client-facing staff, mid-level staff and senior staff and I've heard some absolutely fantastic ideas for how we can strengthen and grow the organisation. For example, Jenny is one of our social workers and she suggested that we could streamline the way that we're handling client intakes. I've been working with our head of finance on the three critical things that we need to do to make sure our financial systems are strong and ready to help us grow forward. There are some things that we really need to tackle quickly. Our insurance policies have lapsed, so that's something we're going to get onto in the next two weeks. And it looks like we need to strengthen our petty cash management. So we're absolutely committed to doing that as well, and so on. So the difference here, you're being honest about the issues that exist, but you're framing them in a way that is not accusatory, so there's no sense that these guys are the problem. And you're also framing almost every issue you raise with an idea that you have a plan to tackle it. Of course, there'll be things that you need help with, but that framing is very different. So if you put yourself in the seat of a board member now, hearing that conversation, what you think is, wow, this leader is on top of this stuff. She or he is going to turn around the organisation for the better. And that's absolutely something that not only they personally are going to feel excited about, but they're much more willing to reach out to their networks and bring those people on board. The kind of conversation they can have with their networks is we have an amazing new executive director and this organisation is on the move. 
So good luck. It is not easy inheriting an organization that feels like it's broken, but it's also an incredible opportunity. It's the chance to turn around an organization and move it forward into the future, onto impact and onto changing the world. So thank you for everything you're doing to change the world. If you're a leader looking for help, you can join the Mission Control community at www.missioncontrolbook.com where you'll find articles, more podcasts like these and a heap of other tools. This is Mission Control with Liana Downey and I'll speak to you soon. Mm -hmm.